Ultra. to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Two Towers one minute at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. And joining us again today, we have Bob Kester from Immunities and Tasha Robinson from the Next Picture Show podcast. Hey guys. Hello again. Hello. Glad to have you guys back on. Great to be here. So today we're going to be talking about Minute 68, which starts with Smeagol saying, because Master didn't ask, and <laughs> ends with uh, Frodo kind of turning his head away from Sam. I'm just going to start off and saying I am in this argument. I am so totally Team Smeagol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've been sort of gone back and forth between him and Sam in previous times, but this time it's just totally like you said to go to the freaking gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use your Hobbit words, you know? Smeagol is not a mind reader. I'm on the exact opposite side of that. I mean, there's there is a lot of stuff in, you know, entertainment that's, well, because you didn't ask, and it's always a punchline. Because how the heck were they supposed to know? We need to go to the gate. We need to get into Mordor. What they were supposed to have said was apparently, are there any secret tunnels? They never said take us into you know get us into Mordor they always said take it take us to the black gate it's like yeah the first 100 said consistency was, take us to, yeah, the black gate. us to the black gate yeah you will yeah. lead us to the black gate that's exactly what Frodo told him to do yeah I mean I think his hope was like they were gonna take one look at the black gate and then like you know take out you know go somewhere else but yeah because the desperation in in Smeagol's voice is like he doesn't really want to tell them about this this place either yeah yeah because I've I've always felt that Smeagol is also kind of afraid of of Shelob. Oh yeah, he doesn't really sure. want to. He doesn't really want to deal with her any more than he absolutely had to <laughs> when he escaped Mordor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Gollum likes her a little bit more, but Smeagol is would rather not see her. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think there's a an interesting thing right at the beginning here where he's describing the uh, the the road that they'd have to follow, and once again, it's it's like Smeagol for half the sentence, and then we get a tiny little bit of Gollum, and it's like. Oh, there's a path and some stairs and then a tunnel. <laughs> and so much like a child like dark. making up a story. You know? <laughs> it's like and then it's dark and there's a tunnel. I know, I like the exaggerated beat. Like he just pauses so long before he says a tunnel and it's, <laughs> it's so guttural. Like he, he has to like force it out of his mouth. It's such a weird choice. Yeah, because he doesn't want to say a nest, because that's what it is. Yeah, that's true. For sure. Yeah, and it's kind of like like Bob was talking about in the last minute yesterday when uh, nobody notices that Grandma Worm, Worm Tongue is evil, even though like everything that comes out of his mouth is like, and he's great. It's like if they were paying close attention here, they'd be like, okay, a path and some stairs, and then a tunnel. Is there anything evil about this tunnel? Just, no, no. <laughs> yeah, this there, is. Dip- you're rubbing your hands together in the evil gesture right now. This is definitely one of those movies where people only Smeagol converse gets nervous. When... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely one of those movies where people only converse when the camera is on them. Like, you know, as soon as the camera's off, they just, like, travel in complete silence until the camera's on them again. <laughs> I hate that trope so much. 
I mean, it's not a particularly egregious version, but it definitely seems to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's not lost. It's not like somebody's actively saying, okay, now we're going to spend a week traveling to the Black Gate. Nobody can speak. We don't have time for it. And then when we get there, we'll decide to turn around and come back, and we still don't have time to talk. It's not that bad, but there is still that sense of just, like, long silences. I I hate... This is like a trope that I absolutely hate is whenever anyone says, I don't have time to explain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, we have Sit time to down. Travel. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I've learned on this TV show could be summed up in roughly 30 seconds of exposition, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> Said I have no time, and I'm sticking by that. <laughs> right. We got to go now. We don't have any time. And then they get in the car to drive 30 minutes to go somewhere. To, to be fair, <laughs> like... Like last week, pro, pro, like proved to me, um, thirty seconds of exposition is a long time. <laughs> Let alone, Let alone um, like over two minutes. Like very nearly two minutes of exposition. <laughs> you know, speaking of exposition, something I really meant to bring up yesterday and completely forgot about was a kind of after the the Smeagol yanking happens. Sam has this moment where he says. Boy, if we get into Mordor, even our magical elven cloaks aren't going to help. And it's like it's like that line was shoved in there to explain the whole rock business for like the slower members of the crowd. <laughs> right. This is what we, we have... call setting up a scene after the scene has already happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just it's for people who are like, now wait a minute. That did not look like a rock. Or wait, that looked like a rock. It didn't look like a couple of hobbits under a, under a cape. And so then Sam's like, by the way, in case you wanted an explanation. Yep. I think that was the most egregious thing with the backpacks so far. Like other things <laughs> I've just been like, just I'm just, I'm it. just upset, but I'm just going to let it go. And then that is just so blatant. It's like <laughs> flying in the face of trying to keep track of how these backpacks work. <laughs> I've made my peace with them. <laughs> I haven't yet. <laughs> It's, it's really just magic. hard to be right here. Exactly. It's uh, it's not that the robe that the cloaks like change color or something like that. I guess they just project a magical illusion over you or something. Hmm. Who knows? I don't know. Explaining a scene after it happens is just some bad story. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, like, it wouldn't be necessarily a bad uh, bad storytelling trope if somebody said, if one of them said, how is it even remotely possible they didn't see us? Oh, I guess there's magic in the cloak. But yeah. they're not explaining to each other something that one of them doesn't know. They're explaining directly to the audience. Yeah. You know, if this was like a I mean, the Adam show, West Batman is guilty of that a lot. Uh, yeah, but that's like oh, yeah. played for laughs. This yeah, I was going to say, if it was like Batman or the TV, you know, the serials that it's kind of like being a takeoff on and stuff like that, there would have been a cliffhanger, which is like, oh my god, the soldiers are going to find them. Oh, or a literal and, cliffhanger. And yeah, a lot exactly. Of or they're like falling <laughs> off a cliff. And then, yeah, you, I can hear it in Adam's West voice, you know, it's like, you know, it's wonderful that those magical cloaks were able to protect us just in time. <laughs> yeah, and but, you, but if this were Batman, you wouldn't have seen that happen. You would have just been at the next scene. Right, right. Because you never, because you never, you never see in in the that Adam West Batman series, you never see the resolution. Right. Adam West just tells you what it was. The noble qualities of the almost human porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> yes, stuff like wow. that. It's just like wow, you never Robin. see. It was amazing how that really expensive thing happened off screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like classic Doctor Who. They it do is that stuff a lot too. Mm -hmm. 
They're just looking at a view screen like, oh, wow, the rocket's exploding. There's a crowd outside rioting. You're not going to see more than like two of them, but they're, yep. trust me, there's a crowd outside rioting. <laughs> they're, just, they're just like shaking a there's chair. There's so many <laughs> and then there's like... There's Cardboard like cutouts. <laughs> this angry-looking chair shaker, oh, we just want to assure you, is representative of t- literally thousands of angry chair shakers. <laughs> oh, man. Riot! That's all I can think. <laughs> just one person. I I love um the, 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 the dumb melodrama in the back half of this minute oh. with uh, Sam and Frodo. Oh, that Sam shot they keep going back to. Yeah, he's just like no, like <laughs> no, you which... see you see his heart break. Yeah, Frodo. But I mean, with Smeagol. But Frodo's got a point. Yeah, I mean, Sam's not offering alternatives. <laughs> it's like I know uh... what it what what is Sam's plan then? Like just to camp out. <laughs> Sam's plan is to just abandon this. No, to camp out until the gate opens again. Yeah, but for what reason? The gate's only going to open when an army goes through. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe they can dress up like works. <laughs> I guess I mean, you, you've got those cloaks. You could, like, p- plant yourself near where the opening is, I guess, or something You just like keep that. getting closer and closer. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, every, sort of every day. <laughs> oh, wow, I hadn't thought of it in those Because those, those orcs can't see by day very well, so, you know, you can, like, sort of move up to it during the day and then, like, wait till there's not men for it to open for something other than men. You know, but then at that point, they turn into the, the Toy Story toys, like, underneath a traffic <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, That's rocks. perfect. And then and they, they have just, to do that all the way through Mordor. They just suddenly pop up, and they're, like, rocks with little little hobbit legs and little hairy feet scurrying around. <laughs> And it's just like, hey, Phil, was that rock there before? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, what Sam potentially is advocating here is not let's go charge the gate so much as let's think about this a minute and come up with a plan that Smeagol didn't give us. <laughs> and Frodo isn't even willing to give him that. Like, there's no time. There's no time to think about this. Let's go Let's go down into the dark tunnel with the guy who's evil 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> let's go, no let's go up some stairs. Let's go up some stairs, and then it's dark, and then it's secret. It's profit. secret. Stage three. And then, profit. and then there's a tunnel, like a tunnel. The uh, I mean, one thing I like about this, and there's a million places where you get where you know this comes to, into play, is like watching the the animated movies when I was young. Is that you know there's sort of an arc to. You know, because Bilbo doesn't kill Gollum when he has the chance. You know, and Frodo's like, you know, shame if Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance. That, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, eventually leads to Sauron's defeat happens, you know, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. You know, because Smeagol, you know, even when he's trying to be bad, causes good things to happen. Mm-hmm. Much like, yeah. you know, much like gets brought up in the Silmarillion a bunch of times, too. That, you know, and whatever you do, it's going to all become part of the Iluvatar's plan. Right. Melkor was trying to mess it up, and it's just like, ah. Uh. Did you think there wasn't anything I didn't plan for? Yeah, you just made it jazzier. <laughs> you created you created ice and snow. Look how beautiful it is. And then he's yeah, just look like, at no! <laughs> And Melkor's just like, but I wanted to destroy things. Why must I fix everything I touch? <laughs> Cursed. Cursed. Yeah, there's a nice little line in here where uh, Smeagol is justifying himself being awesome. And he says, good Smeagol always helps. 
And it, it sounds like the next line is going to be, and Bad Smeagol is called Gollum and he wants to eat your face. <laughs> it's like, I, the, he, he repeatedly describing himself as, you know, good Smeagol, nice Smeagol, sounds like he's comforting himself, like mm. like he's petting himself like a cat. But here, when he says it, it sounds more like, I'm the one that you can listen to that you can trust. Like, I'm the good one. I'll, I'll be the bad one by the end of this sentence. But so far... But I mean, like, it's a first, sort of riddle. You can ask each of them a question and then figure out which one is the one telling you the truth. Right. One of them always tells the truth and one of them always lies. <laughs> one of them always tells the truth and the other one bites off your finger. You <laughs> which, how, how could we possibly tell these two apart? There's no possible way. Yeah, I know their voice doesn't change or anything. Well, I mean, like, even if Smeagol is like a separate entity from Gollum, I feel like Smeagol is doing exactly what the ring sets out to do by causing discord between Frodo and Sam. Like, mm. by by um, siding with, or like painting Sam as like the bad guy. Because like, earlier on in the movie, we see Sam treating him horribly. Mm. Um, and Frodo, I think, has been distrustful of Sam since then. Yeah. Because he was very cruel to Gollum. That could be considered victim blaming. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I, I. Why are you making Sam look so into the bad guy by getting beaten up by him? <laughs> I do think that that Gollum is very consciously aware of the degree to which the ring like works on people's minds and makes them distrust everybody and mm -hmm. think that everybody is coming for them and and trying to get the ring, and I think he's maybe a little more inured to it but he knows it's going to be working on Frodo and that his best route to getting it is to separate the two of them and yeah. since he knows that the ring is already in Frodo's head saying you I can't trust Sam Sam wants the ring Sam's going to try to take control he can kind of be there his desire for the ring is already completely out in the open like right. he's not deceiving it but by saying oh Sam is just like me he's selfish and greedy and you can't trust him mm -hmm. he knows he's going to isolate Frodo further which is helpful for him which right. I guess and that's a question oh, sorry go on Norman the other like visual thing here about Frodo like trusting Gollum more and trusting Smeagol more too is you know when they first were in the Dead Marshes and Gollum went to reach for him he slapped his hand away yeah. here he's just letting Smeagol like paw him. paw at him <laughs> pet him that's true well of course he's Spiegel like saved his him. life right after that you know from yeah and then the one rule <laughs> when don't look when in the water can, and when he can tell that Frodo is like up for doing something else he like sighs and puts his head against Frodo's arm like in relief mm -hmm. that he doesn't have to go back into Mordor like this also I want to call back to the end of Fellowship. Or, no, it's not the end of fellowship, but it feels like forever ago. We can, we can lead, uh, we can lead them to her, right? Is that from? Is that it's, in this uh, movie? Two towers. Oh, that's, that's the, end the end of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're remembering yeah. it from when you saw the theatrical. I bet. I probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So where I was going with that is different. But like, if Gollum had come up with the idea to lead them to Shelob already, he would have suggested it before now. Mm. But Smeagol has been primarily in control since the renaming, so. Frodo has a point here. Like, Smeagol has kept his word. And even Gollum, before the Dead Marshes and in the Dead Marshes, Gollum was the one messing with Frodo's head, just chanting poetry in the night, but not trying to kill him and take the ring. Gollum was like holding. Yeah, he tried that already. Yeah, but he, he knew that they were actually asleep this time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, 
so like Gollum and Smeagol kept their promise on the ring so far. So for for right now, until something else happens, Frodo doesn't have a reason to believe that Smeagol is going to break his word. And Gollum saved his life. And if he wanted the ring, he might have just let Frodo drown. Well, this I was just wondering that. Would he have been able to get the ring then, or would the ghosties have somehow taken it to Sauron or called up the ring rates or something? Also, here implies to me that maybe Gollum would be happier with the ring being lost instead of going back to Sauron. I was wondering that. Is Smeagol at any point, like, you know, uh, reconciled to, like, you know, Frodo having the ring being, like, sort of the lesser of two evils? You know, I think in a way, yeah. Because he seems really concerned with the idea of Sauron getting the ring well, back. Well, I think because he says our precious. Yeah. He's accepted that Frodo is, is the bearer of the ring, but he's he's not ready for that ring to go to Sauron. Because no. even when he was back in the cave, like, he would, I mean, the book goes into this more, like, he would get away from, stay away from the ring for long periods of time, which is how Bilbo came to find it. You know, he would, uh... He would leave he it on his little he, island. Yeah, he couldn't handle wearing it all the time, yeah. I do think that he's very aware that Frodo is a weak vessel. And if Frodo wants to wear the ring, if Frodo's strong enough to keep Gollum from getting the ring, that's fine. He's still much weaker than Sauron. If he's willing to tolerate Gollum's presence around him, Gollum at least is near the precious. Mm -hmm. There's always the option of getting it again. If Sauron gets it, he's never getting it back, period. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like the lesser of two evils. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. In that one of these evils is, is more or less good. The Lord of Evil. <laughs> the other one is very small. Wow, very small. small. And, and, and not evil. <laughs> also, Sauron, much less pettable. <laughs> it's not as cute as Elijah as would. In, in his current form, yeah. Not the giant the flaming eye. Before the fall of Numenor, he was very pedible. Like, There's the whole problem of, like, again. first you've got to climb up that tower, and then he's, like, on fire. You can only get to the two little points where it, it touches the big U-shape. I mean, as not as we find, while it while it does kill Gollum, Gollum is surprisingly fire-resistant. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was not their best moment of effects, I think. <laughs> Yeah, especially the look on his face, which is kind of, huh, I seem to be melting and on fire. That's <laughs> peculiar. He's so overcome with joy, he doesn't notice that he's burned to death. I mean, there, there's no good way to show somebody falling into, like, because, like, you know, Ripley and Alien 3, too, you know, it's like, spoilers for the end of Alien 3, but the... Uh... <laughs> oh my god. Spoilers. <laughs> wow, that's not a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> the people shouldn't watch anyway. But yeah. <laughs> So I was I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, is Gollum so stressed out and frantic with Sam and Frodo because he didn't expect them to go charging headfirst into the <laughs> Of course not. Yeah, he's already been there. He, he okay. He was like, don't follow, follow the lights. Light. Yeah. Like, he was already <laughs> upset with Frodo for being that stupid. Like, explicitly breaking his one and this is, this is, like, several orders of magnitude stupider. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, because it, it parallels like how, like, you know, Gandalf's thing about, like, you know, their main ally is that Sauron couldn't conceive of anybody doing what they're trying to do. <laughs> and Gollum's sort of a mini version of that. You know, he's like, what? <laughs> you want a what now? I don't think that Gollum is even like. Gollum doesn't know they're trying to destroy the ring yet. Yeah, it's true. But, you they know, haven't told. They any haven't step of that. Was just him. 
So that, like, the idea... Like, what does he think they're trying to accomplish by <laughs> sneaking into Mordor, if not to destroy the ring? He is There's... not smart. He's <laughs> cunning. He's cunning and clever, and that's a very different set of traits. Yeah. There's a there's a great like lost scene in somewhere in all of this where you know Frodo doesn't have a crisis of faith and they just they come to the edge of uh, the cracks of Mount Doom and he goes to drop it in and Spiegel's like what what are you doing <laughs> you, you're planning on destroying the ring why didn't you tell me that and Frodo looks him in the eye and says because Smeagol didn't ask <laughs> <laughs> and then he just drops it <laughs> yep and then, and then they all go over. <laughs> And then and then Smeagol doesn't fall in the lava. <laughs> and Sam goes, boom, goes the dynamite. And then, and then Smeagol gets to go into the West because he was a ring bearer too. I think Smeagol would. Okay, if we go with your weird zombie theory, I think Smeagol would like crumble into dust as soon as the ring hit the lava. Oh, probably. <laughs> That's possible. Still with that exact same expression of, oh, I seem to be crumbling into dust here. That's a peculiar thing. It'd be easier to buy, though, because that's a completely magical thing, whereas, you know, lava's kind of what we know. Well, assuming that's a volcano and not just a magical fire. Right, you just... Oh, you just, yeah. <laughs> I mean... You see, uh, you see Gollum dissolve as you see the eye explode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just assume that the fire in Mount Doom is very, very magical because <laughs> otherwise they could just throw the damn ring into, like, any blacksmith's forge. So I am assuming it's made entirely out of magic. Like, very hot, glowy magic. But even, yeah. even a blacksmith's forge is not as hot as the heart of a volcano. I guess... Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then the ring tries to save itself, which I've always thought is cool. Does it? Yeah. Oh. Oh, I've forgotten that part. I did too. Like, it's sitting there in the lava, and then a, a piece cools and coalesces below it before oh, it finally yeah, falls yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who uh, annually has a uh, marathon of all the extended editions, and I must admit, I start it many more, many more, much more often than I end it. <laughs> so right. the end of Return of the King I've seen a lot less often. Yeah. But yeah, there's that moment where like it looks like the ring all the the letters on the ring are glowing and it's like it's exerting its last like breaths of magical power and then it sinks into the lava. Okay. Oh, I never took that as exertion. I, I took that as like the all of the magic that had been bound up in it starting to release because, you know, the the form that's held it is being destroyed. I think I've always took it as exertion because the movie tries to go out of its way to portray the ring as an active force. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get to that in like two years. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love the end of this minute um, because it's so dramatic. Like It's like four seconds of Sam just looking at Frodo, distraught. And then Frodo like looks at him and then like pointedly <laughs> looks away he look, he's, he's looking at Sam and like, like this is the angsty part of our slash fic right here right, exactly. and then yeah, it's, it's kind it, of no it's that meme it's that meme with the two with the two girls and the guy oh my god <laughs> but it's Sam oh, and right. it's Sam and Smeagol I need to make this right I guess now. somebody must have done a Lord of the Rings version of that already the, the the foreground girl just says like Smeagol's magic Toddle <laughs> <laughs> Distracted Hobbit friend. Uh, 
I think it's fascinating, though, that like literally 120 seconds ago, we had Sam and Frodo looking at each other with that, you know, you're the only one on Earth that gets me, you're the only one on Earth I can count on, like uh, intensity. And then at the end of this minute, they're looking away from each other with that, you know, you don't understand me and you can't you can't roll me, man mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, I've seen that change my mind meme with Isildur. Oh my mm-hmm. god. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, you have to expect, like, every, you know, when you cut back to Sam, like, they do it a little too soon, and there's somebody with a little eyedropper putting little eyedrops <laughs> under his eyes. Well, they are this entire uh, set of minutes. They've got this wind ruffling dramatically through their hair, and it just it makes it look even more like romance novel cover dramatic. Yeah. It really does. Just all this, all this melodrama. Also, how much time have you spent on this podcast discussing how they got Elijah Wood to look agonized at all times? <laughs> I, I, like, I think I he just wasn't sleeping other than in <laughs> In some of these shots, I just picture like Peter Jackson standing just off screen with a, a cute kitten and a gun held to his oh, no. And he's like, act harder, oh, Wood, or it's getting oh, the gun. Oh, no. Well, apparently this scene, this this little sequence here, so this was filmed in a gymnasium mostly. <laughs> like on like a racquetball court in a gymnasium. And then like some of it was filmed outside and then some of it was filmed uh in a quarry near where they filmed uh Helm's Deep. But like this this stuff with them near each other and like this conversation with Frodo and Smeagol and and, and Sam was like filmed in a gymnasium. And apparently, Peter Jackson and the three guys are having a hard time, like, getting the communicate the communication across. So this was a really difficult scene to film. Because like, like, like what he... everybody wanted out of the scene. Oh, okay. So like, Peter Jackson was like having issue, like trouble communicating exactly what emotion he wanted. Like from exactly his like what he wanted out of his actors okay. in this scene. And, like, they weren't understanding what he was going for. Like, they didn't get exactly, like, what he meant by things. Sean Aston talks about this a lot. Like, it made him really frustrated. And that yank away, apparently Andy Serkis pulled uh, Sean Aston's wig off. (laughs) (laughs) And he had to go and get it re-glued on. And he took the frustration of, like, the whole day and bottled it into that moment and came back to the scene. And, like, like, the frustration and the disbelief, like... He nailed it when he came back from the, oh, the makeup chair. <laughs> he just, like, took all this frustration for the whole day, like, up into that moment, and then just, like, balled it up, stormed off to the makeup chair, came to the trailer, to <laughs> came back to set, did his job. I mean, it plays really well. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Because, I, I, like, I look at this scene, and what's to misinterpret like he's scared he doesn't want to go over there you're desperate you do want to go over there like that's I, there's a lot of complicated undercurrents to it but mm-hmm. it it doesn't seem like something you would spend an entire day trying to get the nuances of i mean i'm not peter jackson and i'm not an actor <laughs> and i'm not an actor <laughs> yeah. right the only acting i've done is on a high school stage so <laughs> <laughs> what do i know I, I do I do like the juxtaposition of those two minutes though because they're so like in like into each other for you know lack of a better phrase and then now they're just like literally turning away from each other. Yeah. 
drama. I love, I love, conflict <laughs> makes things interesting. Yeah, because now this rift is like opening between Sam and Frodo. Mm -hmm. And like the cracks were there, but it was about to be like cemented back together and they were about to charge off to glorious death together. Yeah. <laughs> and then Gollum was just like, why would you do that? You're stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's really dumb. What are you doing? I lived, I, I have lived in, under a rock literally for five <laughs> centuries. That's stupid. <laughs> and now Sam's like, what happened to you, Frodo? You used to be cool. Remember back when we used to charge into like certain death together? Remember 15 seconds ago? And now you're trying to sneak around certain death? What's up with you? <laughs> it's like, I decided I don't really want to die. <laughs> How dare you? I was gonna die for How you. How dare you, Mister Frodo? <laughs> it used to be me ride or die, and we're not riding anything. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Sam's jealous of all the the weird like snuggles happening. Yeah, he's just looking, <laughs> he's looking at the the petting, and he's just like, I want to pet Frodo. <laughs> oh my god. Don't you up stop on his cuddling arm. him, Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> oh, God. And, and I don't mean to. I find it intensely That's a different fascinating. movie. <laughs> <laughs> or a different fanfic. I find it intensely fascinating that we were still getting the uh, discrepancy here between Sam calling him Mr. Frodo and him just referring to Sam by his first name. It's like, you would think that the class distinctions that ruled over them in the Shire would have fallen away somewhere around day 183 of the track. <laughs> I would think that they maintained the some of that as a comfort thing. It's like, it's still something from home. It's still something that they're so used to doing. Yeah, I think that's part of the Hobbit thing is you sort of take the Shire with you wherever you go and that's why they're indomitable. So hateful class condescension, <laughs> a little piece of home that we get to keep. It's well, just you know, like home. It's just like that home. way by somebody other than J.R.R. Tolkien, sir. <laughs> oh, that's true. I like thinking about the time that he grew up in, that class distinctions would have been very, very important, a very sure. important part of uh, maintaining society, wouldn't they? But this, um, the Frodo Sam thing, the way that they talk to each other, isn't necessarily about social class. Like a lot of people think the influence of that is military rank and an officer's yeah. relationship with his assistant. Yeah. There was Which that, is a little different. There was that documentary we were watching that yeah. talked about that. Which is a little different than like a the hierarchical nature nature of society is a little different than like the hierarchy in the military. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Though though officers though class in the contributed military to that. Were often, you know, very wealthy yeah. people. But you had to really prove yourself to become, like, an officer's assistant. You had to, like, go above and beyond. Yeah, yes. So, like, it's a different sort of hierarchy. So you have to prove yourself in order to die last. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Like That's what the Vikings any, were doing. Anyway, you slice it, that sucks. That is a really interesting distinction, although I admit it's a, one that becomes a little hard to buy given how unmilitary Frodo is. Mm -hmm. Right, but a lot of people, a lot of people think that the influence of their relationship comes from Tolkien's time in World War One and interacting with officers and officers. I think the term that they use in England is lieutenant. Mm. Right. No, that's neat. So it's interesting to think about all the the all of Tolkien's life experiences that kind of bleed through into this stuff. Because an author is always alive in his work in some capacity. Yeah. Sure. That's true. 
I mean, when I was young, I used to think of it that this was obviously like, you know, like the a World War One, World War Two analogy sort of thing. You know, like the Second Age was sort of World War One, and the Third Age was sort of World War Two, and you know, mm-hmm. we sort of like slept on, you know, like the enemy coming back, you know, get, gathering strength again type thing. But of course, Tolkien like super dismisses that. <laughs> well, like the gritty, stormy battle of Helm's Deep in this cleft between two mountains is very much like a mirror of trench warfare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very much a subscriber of the to the the death of the author theory mm-hmm. where oh, the, sure. the author is the last person you should be listening to when they tell you how their personal experience does or doesn't come into it. Mm-hmm. I I always like go back and forth with the whole death of the author thing because I think context of when a work was written is really important to like what it means. I think context is important to understanding the broader themes of a work, but, like, with, I mean, Sam and Frodo's relationship, like, I mean, we're still talking about Sam and Frodo's relationship, like, almost, I don't know, like, almost 100 years after. Well, not 100 years. Uh... So, I think that this, like, their relationship, the things that are important about it, like, are, I don't know, like, transcend the test of time. Well, I mean, that's... Any good story is going to have themes that kind of transcend the context of when the story was written. But I I also like to remove it from context and examine it on its own merits without Mm. the author's um, baggage. I don't know. I've always felt like the baggage of when a work was written is really important to understanding what the work is trying to say. And I I think think it's really... And I think it's really interesting to see what the author says about it. I just don't think you should take what the author says about it to be gospel. Yeah, I think that's one of those things where it's there's such a uh, such an instinct to take the author's word as word of God that you can't like just say you know oh put it all in perspective. There's like you have to completely shut it out at least for a little while, you know, and think like, I mean, without that. And then, yeah. The the forward the the forward to Lord of the Rings, or maybe not initially, but the forward to the edition that's pretty much been printed ever since. Uh, includes that line from Tolkien about applicability. Like, his he never intended his story to mean one thing. Ever. Oh, he likes applicability and not allegory. Right. Applicability. You can apply this to whatever you want. Like, whatever this means to you is what it means to you. That's the point of applicability. Yeah. Allegory is a one-to-one, one-to-one and Tolkien one-to-one hated that. Yeah. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, given the sagas that he was drawing on and kind of the way he and, and C.S. Lewis in particular talked about, you know, the mythopoeic resonance of the things that they wrote and how they wanted them to be read as kind of these like larger mythic works that could withstand the test of time, mm-hmm. it would make sense that he wouldn't want ha- people pointing at it and saying, okay, this is this battle in World War II. Um, I just, I don't think you can entirely discount the influence his experience had oh, on him. No, absolutely not. Like, what an author does influences what they write. Yeah, whether they're aware of it or not. Right, exactly. The The way that the hobbits return to the Shire and, like, seem to act like no one understands them is a soldier thing. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. Like, with, there's no, there's nothing else it can really be. Well, I, and, you know, there's gotta be a... a pretty deep-seated fantasy there when you when you look at the soldiers that have just they've seen too much they've done too much they don't fit in so they get to get on a magic boat and sail to the magic land that like is just for people who've been through these things and Mm -hmm. they can finally retire in peace but then there's so many people there that like have never been through anything like this (laughs) or at least not in the same way 
think that like aside from like the 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 direct correlation to like a soldier's experience, I think like any like dramatic or traumatic life changing like experience mm. qualifies. And like technically, like sailing across the ocean is like dying for these elves. Mm-hmm. So they like are dead. <laughs> yeah. So they all have that in common, I guess. Like there's there's a Valhalla quality to like having to go across the oh, sea yeah, yeah, yeah. to like join the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Like there's a Valhalla quality to that that yeah. it obviously is intentional. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And I mean, it's not like you know, as you'll be reading it as you get through the Silmarillion, like the, those elves who are over there have been through some he- pretty heavy stuff, so they will but they will have experiences to exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like I always sense. forget like because Tolkien kind of there's broad strokes over some of the trauma of the early part of the elves in Valinor and Tolkien doesn't go into a lot of detail about some things but yeah you're right when the trees came down all the elves over there experienced some serious shit (laughs) (laughs) I think there's also just a feeling that the experience of being an elf in the world uh, means experiencing a lot of trauma Uh, partially because the world is slowly coming apart and magic is falling out of it Mm -hmm. but also just because they live for for a really really long time compared to most mortals and i think the idea of the hobbits uh, and whoever else gets to go like there's a there's a metaphor in there that's basically you have seen such terrible things that it's as though you'd live for a thousand years mm. and i think that that's something a a traumatized shell-shocked shoulder could certainly relate to yeah hmm. right because like galadriel is like I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years old. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly, but it, it's a long, <laughs> long time. She's, I think she's the oldest elf in Middle Earth. I think and so. she's seen a whole lot of Noldor die, <laughs> one way or another. You know, like you, theoretically, I mean, there's some great line in The Hobbit before you even really know what elves are. Hardly, you know, it's like you know where it's like many men died, many dwarves, and many elves who you know should have been like singing in forests forever or something like that you know it's like you know she's seen lots of immortal beings who turned out to uh, to not be immortal the only thing that kills elves is a weapon yeah sometimes held by other elves but you'll get to that yeah. dun 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 yeah <laughs> Fanor messed up <laughs> he's the worst uncle <laughs> That's, God, I know that's the. Worst. That's kind of what I hope the Amazon TV ser- series is. Is the story of the Noldor. They'll just call it the worst uncle. Darrow the worst Tolkien's elven the worst uncle. uncle. Like the story of the Noldor, I think would be a pretty compelling TV series. It's how Feanor effed up. Yeah. <laughs> Feanor with a capital F. And you could have Kate Blanchett as a you know a linking yeah. thing. Kate Blanchett can the still elf be there. Tree three hundred four. <laughs> If an elf starts making magic stones that shine, don't trust him anymore. <laughs> well, it's like, First, yeah, if anybody starts making anything, you can just start, <laughs> stop right there. Don't it's trust craftsmen. That's D- so don't trust craftsmen. That's the long, the long con of this series. Yeah, exactly. There was a in the uh, the first Lord of the Rings collectible card game, the Middle Earth, the Wizards. I guess that was called. Basically, anything that any possession you had like gave you these corruption points that the other player could use against you, and like the better it was, the more you know. And so you you were constantly this balancing act. You know, it's like um, I shouldn't have a magic sword and a magic shield because that's gonna like turn me evil. That's so funny. Just, 
So basically the only solution is to live in the woods and like drink out of rocks, which is exactly what we're going to see in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the answer. Go go live with the ants in peace and harmony. I mean, he was like Tolkien was all about returning to like the idyllic lifestyle. Yeah. So. That's why the Shire is what it is. It's this, this pastoral... It's, it's, it's the Shire the civilized version of that. Like, everything's brown. You know, nothing tries to be that much better than anything else. Just, like, you know, good. Right. You know, the the Shire is this pastoral idyllic version of rural England that never really existed. Yeah. <laughs> and then Sauron comes along. <laughs> yeah. I don't like this. Kicks it. <laughs> <laughs> Kick over this grain mill. <laughs> Break this bridge. <sighs> well, I'm excited to talk more about trees, I guess, tomorrow. Yeah, more uh, trees. Yeah. <laughs> and rocks. Rock drinking, very important. That's a theme this week. Just very rocks and rocks. states. And people trying to trick each other. <laughs> so, New Zealand rocks. <laughs> <laughs> you just redo Cleveland rocks with New Zealand rocks. You have to say the first part really no, fast. it's like the flight of the That's... Concords, like... Yeah, that's one of the posters yeah. up in the council. Oh. See, he yeah. knows. I I didn't hallucinate this. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you like I I've the only Flight of the Concord stuff I've seen from the show is the musical bits from the oh, show. Okay. Uh yeah. Mm. Whenever the, their manager works for the New Zealand consulate, so there's like post there's a different poster every week. It's whatever. so funny. But uh we're from the website duelinggenre.com. Um check us out there as well as the other dueling genre movie by minute podcasts. Um also check out immunities. Uh, where Bob's from, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank, we we've been getting some really good discussion this week, so I'm really pumped. Yeah, I uh, I always like deep dives. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so I hope everyone has a good Wednesday, and we'll be back tomorrow to talk about Wednesday. Bye. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Bye.